For the rest of us, we can open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 15. Back in Matthew 15 this morning. And we're going to be looking specifically at verses 10 to 20 this morning. Matthew 15, 10 to 20. For those of you new with us, we're walking through the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, looking at the life of Jesus Christ, our King. Today we're in verses 10 to 20. It reads, And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered them, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. And he said, are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. What do you think are the greatest threats in our world today? How would you answer that question? What are the greatest threats in our world today? today? Well, here are the answers that the internet gave me. Here are the greatest threats according to the internet. Climate change, nuclear war, cosmic disaster, pandemics, political or social division, inflation, misinformation, terrorist attacks, cyber attacks, overprocessed food, Government education, the cost of living crisis, mental health disorders, cancer, stress. These were some of the answers that the internet gave for what are the greatest threats in our world today. And maybe for some of you, you're like, you relate to those. You see those as legitimate threats and you spend a lot of time thinking about them or concerned about them or planning to avoid them. Now, some of those things that I listed are real threats. They are. And some of them are not. But none of them are the greatest threat in your life. Jesus identifies the greatest threat in our world. It's the greatest threat today. And it was 2,000 years ago, and it was 6,000 years ago. The threat is not out there. It's in here. It's within us. The greatest threat to the world, mankind, our nation, and us individually is sin. It is sin 
Sin is the problem, and sin is that curse inside of us that comes out and manifests in all sorts of defiling ways. Now, the true worshiper of Christ realizes this, and they cry out to God for mercy. And Jesus Christ, through His perfect sacrifice, He subdues that threat in our life, and He cleanses our hearts of sin. And eventually, He will put that curse to death for good. Take care of it forever. But empty religion, those like the Pharisees and scribes, they ignore this. And they focus only on keeping the outside clean. Empty religion thinks that sin is just an external problem with an external solution. Make every effort to protect yourself from those outside threats, but ignore the real monster within, which is the sinful heart. And so Jesus addresses this very truth today in this passage, the threat within, especially to those who are convinced by an empty religious system. And so in the context, and and we looked at this last week, Jesus is addressing Pharisees and scribes, and he's addressing their empty religion. Again, the religion that is void of true worship and the empty religion that is no solution at all. It doesn't fix anything. And so Jesus, in our last passage, in in verses 1 to 9, he notes that empty religion exalts the traditions of men above the Word of God. That's one of the defining characteristics. It's about man-centered tradition, and God's Word is less than. Today, we're going to see the second aspect of empty religion. Empty religion sees sin as an external problem and not an internal problem. Said another way, empty religion neglects the heart of the matter. Empty religion neglects the heart of the matter, and that is sin comes out of us and not in us. Sin comes out of us and not into us. So let's look at the passage again and just kind of walk verse by verse and understand it more clearly. Look at verse 10. It says, And he, that is Jesus, called the people to him, and he said to them. So Jesus turns his attention from addressing the scribes and the Pharisees directly, and now he addresses the crowd and draws them near for an important principle. Look at what he says. Hear and understand. In other words... Pay close attention to this. This is important. Listen and comprehend. Point number one of your outline is heed this principle. Jesus is about to say something important. We know that because the lead-in is hear and understand. This is important. Jesus is a master teacher. You know what? A good teacher prepares you for the test. They might even tell you what to look forward to on the test. They want to get you ready. And Jesus says, this is one teaching, one principle you have to grasp. This is important for you to understand who you are and the source of your problems in life. He's about to say something very, very important. And Jesus goes on, you probably saw this word, it's said at least five times in the passage, 
he talks about what defiles us. Do you know what defile means? Or to be defiled? To be defiled is to be common or to be impure. It is the opposite of sacred. It's the opposite of holy or to consecrate. It is, it is something that is profane. It is something that is unholy. It's something desecrated. What, or sorry, anyone or anything that defiles us or that makes us defiled means that we are not allowed in the temple to worship. It was a declaration about where you stand before a holy God, you see. So Jesus is describing what truly defiles us, what truly makes us separate from the presence and holiness of God. And you might ask yourself, what kind of things separate us from a holy God? If God is perfect, if to be in His presence we must be clean or consecrated, then what is it that defiles us? Is it the news? Is it social media? Is it Netflix? Is it your coworkers? Is it bad influences in the neighborhood or at work or at school? Now, don't get me wrong. Those are perhaps negative influences in your life, sources of temptation. But here's the difference. You can't blame them for defilement in your life. You can't blame them as what, as what is responsible for your standing with God. It's not their fault. The problem has a different source. Let me ask you this way. Have you thought about this? If you were removed from those kind of inputs in your life, maybe media or bad influences out in the world, if you were removed from all that, would you still have a problem? Would there still be a problem with your standing before God? Now the Pharisees prided themselves in being defilement officers. They loved enforcing the law. It's because they added their tradition to it. They took pleasure in enforcing it. And according to their tradition, we saw this last week, touching unclean things or eating unclean things without washing that's what defiles you. So they were concerned about what you would intake, what would come into you. And they would work really hard to protect a person from the sin going in. According to Christ, it's different. It's different. Here the principle, and you need to understand this. Look at what Jesus says in verse 11. It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person. But what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. So sin, a, a wrong standing with God, defilement, comes out of us, not into us. There must be a different source then for our problems. The responsible party, or the blame shift, it's not out there. It's in here. If you want to police sin... If you want to know how a person becomes unclean, unholy, or desecrated, you want to lead an investigation on where your problems come from. 
You want to know what it is that separates us from a holy God. Don't watch what goes into men. Watch what goes out of them. This principle is so important in the day of victimhood. Everybody is a victim of circumstances. They excuse or blame shift all their problems. It's another way of saying that sin is a problem out here. That's why I am the way that I am. The way I was raised. The amount of money that I have. My circumstances. Difficult. Hard. It's because of my environment. I've been dealt difficult cards. That's why I sin. And then... If the problem is out here, what you'll start to do is, like the Pharisees, you'll start working really, really hard to clean the outside, to fix it yourself, to clean up your act, to clean up your language, to clean up your diet, to change your environment, and to, or to tack on a bunch of religious exercises to your life. You wash, you wash, you wash. But here's the problem. You're still not clean. And sin still comes out. See, the problem isn't out here. The problem is in here. And it must be addressed, dealt with from the heart. The inside needs to be washed. In order for that to happen, you have to acknowledge that it's the problem. The problem. And so sin comes out of us, not into us. And that is the principle we must heed. We must understand. The second point in our outline, Jesus kind of pivots to warn the people, specifically his disciples, of the false teaching of the Pharisees and scribes. And he identifies or warns the disciples of empty religion. And so the second point is beware of empty religion. Empty religion has these five markers. Jesus articulates them well. So five markers of empty religion. Number one. They're offended by the truth. They're offended by the truth. The disciples came to him and said, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? I mean, their offense was obvious. It was obvious they were disturbed. They were frustrated, to say the least. They were angry. They wanted to kill Jesus. And what did offend them? What offended them? The truth That Jesus spoke. The word of God. Jesus called them out. He called them hypocrites. Fake. Vain worshipers. They worship me with their lips. But their heart is far from me. Jesus preaches the truth of God's word. In fact, he preaches from the book of Isaiah. To expose their hypocrisy. And that's what offends them. The truth. Rather than submitting to the truth, they're fuming. And Jesus doesn't even acknowledge that they were offended. He doesn't care about that. He doesn't fear men. He's not going to change his message, change his tone for these false false teachers. He simply goes after the next marker. Marker number two. These men are not from God. They are not from God. Jesus They said, oh, Jesus, don't don't you see that you offended the Pharisees? He says, every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted. These are not men cut from the same cloth as me. You don't compare them to me. You don't compare them to my people. These are men from a, a different source. 
a man with a different agenda. These are intruders, strangers, foreigners, unwelcomed aliens. They are weeds, not wheat. They are not from God, and their teachings certainly are not from God, even though they claim to represent it. So they are not from God. Third, they will be removed by God. Their end is destruction. Jesus says, these plants that my Father has not planted, they will be rooted up. We saw this in the parable a few weeks ago, the parable of the weeds. The weed would grow amongst the wheat, but it wouldn't be until the end of that day when the angels would come and separate the tares from the wheat, and those tares would be cast into the furnace of fire. God promises to judge the wicked, and He will do it in that day. They will be removed by God. There are severe consequences for their teaching and for their belief in wicked, wicked teachings. And so what do we do with them in the meantime? How do we handle these kinds of false teachers? Jesus gives us instruction. Number four, they must be left alone. Leave them alone. Let them alone, he says. In other words, don't pay attention to them. Don't associate with them. Don't entertain their teaching. Don't give their traditions or their philosophies any credence or sympathy. We don't hold hands with these kinds of people that preach a false gospel in a spirit of unity or love. No. There's no unity if they deny the sufficiency of Jesus Christ and His sacrifice. Avoid them. Why? Why would we avoid these kinds of false teachers? Again, those who, it's not those who teach a different doctrine on secondary issues. It's those who defy the sufficiency of Christ in the gospel. Those are the ones we don't associate with, who preach a different gospel. Why? Jesus says, because they're deceptive and dangerous. Number five, they are blind guides. They're blind guides. He says, if the blind lead the blind, not only the guide falls into the pit, but so does the follower. They're deceptive and dangerous. Don't follow these kinds of teachers. They are the suicide bombers of religion. They're going down, and they want to take as many down with them. Deceived. They're trying to deceive others. Don't fall for empty religion, and don't fall with the, those who are caught up in empty religion. We have to be on guard against these influences in our life. To be careful about the gospel teaching or the Bible preaching, quote-unquote, that you listen to if it's a false gospel. Got to be on guard. Got to watch out. And we have to also beware of these symptoms kind of creeping into our lives because it's, e- it's just as easy for us going to a, a Christian church, a Protestant evangelical church, to allow ourselves to participate in empty religion. We could come in here and lip the words of the songs and yet our hearts be steeped in sin, far from God. We could, even in our Christian practices, have the wrong motivation, hearts that are selfish or self-exalting, and not truly as sincere worshipers of Christ. We need to guard and protect ourselves from the hypocrisy, the veneer of empty religion. 
Don't fall into this trap. Don't make such efforts to just look good on the outside, but be rotting on the inside. Sin needs to be addressed in our hearts. It needs to be repented of and dealt with consistently. Beware of empty religion. Point number three, and here's kind of the thrust of the passage. Jesus explains the parable that, or the principle even, that he taught in verse 11. So point number three is realize your heart defiles you. Realize your heart defiles you. Here is the source of your problems. Here is a threat in your life you need to be aware of. Maybe acknowledge and take responsibility for the problems it it has created. Realize your heart defiles you. It's Peter who says to him, explain the parable to us. Help us understand. God bless Peter. He's the first responder. Also the first to speak up. Sometimes it gets him in trouble. This time I think it's a good thing. Peter sees, wait a minute here, there's something I perhaps missed that I really need to understand. And so he says, explain that parable to us. What, what, he, what he's referring to is the input-output saying that Jesus said in verse 11. And Jesus responds and says, are you also still without understanding? Without understanding. A sunetos, it literally means you can't bring things together. We might say, Peter can't put two and two together. He still doesn't get it. Sometimes we don't either. So we should sympathize or be understanding with Peter and not judge him. Sometimes we're in the same boat. When Jesus responds and says, are you still without understanding? He's not belittling Peter. He's genuinely grieving and concerned that he doesn't understand this because he's taught this already. He has taught his disciples well where sin comes from. He did so in the Sermon on the Mount. Do you remember it? Jesus doesn't just identify sin out here. Jesus identifies sin as an internal problem. He says, well, you know, you say you haven't committed adultery, but have you lusted after someone who's not your spouse? You've committed the sin then in your heart. Says, well, you haven't murdered anyone. Oh, good on you. But have you been angry with someone and called them a fool behind their back? Well, you're guilty then of murder in your heart. He was insistent. Sin is conceived in here. The problem is within. Not only in the words that you say or the things that you do, but the thoughts that you think are evil. He's already made sin an internal issue in the Sermon on the Mount. He later condemns the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 12. He says, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So he has already identified the mouth as as a mouthpiece for the heart. The mouth opens and words come out that weren't produced out there. They were produced in here. So the problem is within James chapter 1, this is later, the epistle of James, he reaffirms this principle. He says in James 1.14, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. 
Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Sin is conceived in our hearts. When the temptation hits us, maybe in our eyes, through something we watch or something we listen to, it is temptation. We need to guard against that. But what follows when the sin is committed is not out there, it's in here. When we dwell on that thought longer than we should have. When we manifest that thought through words that we say or continued looks that we take or actions that we do. When we brood on our anger, on our bitterness for something that someone else said to us. You say, well, it's their fault. They said a hurtful thing to me. But you had the choice, friend, to brood in anger or to surrender to the Lord. Love covers a multitude of sins. Forgive that person or even address them in a spirit of gentleness and kindness. Yet you chose to brood in anger. See how your thoughts are produced within you. The problem is within. And, and Jesus just makes it, makes it, he says, his disciples should have known this, but he has to explain it again. And it's important. It's good for us to listen again and understand this. To understand ourselves. First, Jesus clarifies again where sin does not come from. It's not come from out there. It doesn't come from unclean foods or unclean hands. He says, do you see? Whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and it is expelled. Well, thank you, Jesus, for the vivid description of our digestion. I feel like I'm back in third grade science. That makes a lot of sense. Food goes into the mouth, through the stomach, and out. By the way, our translation doesn't include, but Jesus includes it. It goes into the toilet. It says it goes into the latrine. <laughs> Thank you for that description again. That's what food does. We know that. Physical food. But, now Jesus clarifies. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. Mark's gospel adds that the food enters not into the heart, but into the stomach. Unclean food or unclean hands doesn't defile the heart because it doesn't even touch the heart. And what Jesus is talking about is not the organ that we have, the heart organ. He's talking about the inner man, the soul, the control center for your thoughts, your words, and your, your deeds. It is your spiritual be being. So understand what Jesus is saying here. The greatest problem of mankind for these Pharisees and everyone else, the sin that defiles us and condemns us before a holy God is not produced out there. It's produced in our own heart. It comes out of, from, the heart. You could think of the human heart as a sin factory, producing all kinds of defilements. Jesus includes a few here in verse 19. A list. Out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, Theft, false witness, slander. Mark 
the gospel author, adds some color to the list. He says, For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these evil things come from within. And these defile a person. Not one of us escapes that list untouched, unconvicted. We have all, if we're honest with ourselves, commit those sins in thought, in word, or in deed. The consequence is the same. If you've defied the word of God, defied the law of God, God at one point, you're guilty of it all. It should be clear. It should be clear to us where the problem comes from. In fact, we shouldn't take the advice of Disney. Don't follow your heart. Because all kinds of defilements and deceptive things come out of it. And again, you might say, you may still be having a hard time grasping this and think, well, I'm not a murderer though. I haven't committed adultery. I haven't slept with a woman or a man outside of my spouse. But, have you lusted, desired, or coveted a person who is not your spouse? Have you been angry with someone? Called them a fool? Under your breath, behind their back? Have you coveted what someone else has? Even said to yourself, man, why do they have that and why don't I? Have you spoken a careless word? Have you lied? Have you cheated? Have you allowed yourself to keep scrolling through lustful, covetous, bitter, hateful, deceptive, and prideful thoughts in your head? Oh, you know you're guilty. We all do. Our conscience bears witness. We are sinners from within. Don't look around out there after you say some choice words to your spouse or to your children or to a coworker and think, oh, I don't know where that came from. Jesus just told you where it did. It came from within, from your heart. It's a sin factory. It is corrupt from the inside out. You may think, man, is this really what God sees in us? Is this really what God sees? Well, in the days of Noah, God looked down from heaven. It says, He saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. In Psalm 14, the Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there's anyone who understands, if there's anyone who seeks after God, if there's anyone who has some kind of good within them. And what he sees is that they've all turned aside, together they've become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. Jeremiah 17.9 The heart is deceitful above all things, and it is desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart, and I test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruits of it. Something we need to understand. Listen, you can stand before God covered in sewage 
with a Big Mac in one hand, a McFlurry in the other, half eaten. But those don't defile you. It doesn't come close to the filth that comes out of the heart that he sees. Have you recognized that? Have you recognized that the biggest problem in your life, friend, is is not out there, but it's in here? It's important that you realize that. So important. I don't want you to be deceived by the hypocrisy of empty religion, that you just got to be clean on the outside. You got to look good. You have to have an Instagram picture family. You know, the kids are good, doing good in school, getting good grades, have good hair, and marry a good spouse. Like, and that's like good enough. No, no, no. Listen, if you haven't yet recognized, realize your real problem from within, it's a scary place to be. You could be caught up in empty religion and not be aware of it. It's a difficult truth to embrace. It's not a feel-good message. I understand But Jesus says, hear and understand, this is important. You are defiled by what comes out of you. And you have to realize that, to be a true worshiper. You do. You have to realize the problem. You have to understand the diagnosis before you can find the solution. Before you can see and embrace the reality of a Savior in Jesus Christ. The Pharisees worked really hard to look good on the outside. They had hand washings, which cleansed their skin, if anything, or their body from germs, but it didn't cleanse them from sin that was produced in their heart. Because listen, no amount of hand washing, no amount of sacrifices, no amount of ceremonies, no amount of good works by the law can take away your sins. They can't. If you think sin is just an external problem with external solutions, you don't have a real solution. You still got the problem. That's because empty religion has no solution for the problem of the heart. There is only one. There is only one solution for this problem. There's only one. Listen closely. There's only one who can take away sins. There's only one who can clean your heart. Listen to the word of God. Hebrews chapter 10. But when Jesus Christ offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. It is finished. For by a single offering, that is his death, atoning death on the cross, He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified, cleansed, renewed. Titus 3.5, He saved us, not because of the works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration, rebirth, and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Acts 15.9, God saved us, having cleansed us, cleansed our hearts by faith. Listen. When you've identified the problem is inside, I am corrupt from within, and what defiles me comes out of me, then there's only one solution. Listen, here it is. 
only God, by the grace through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ, can wash, clean, and renew your heart. Only God can wash you from the inside out. The same God who sees the defilement in your heart is not not horrified by it and He doesn't turn away and neglect you and leave you to your ruin. He, He intervenes, He steps down, He condescends, becomes a man, and He gives us the solution through His Son, Jesus Christ, who made the one sacrifice necessary, a perfect sacrifice, to forgive you of your sins, to wash you, to cleanse you, So that by faith in Him and faith alone, you can have your heart clean, cleansed, renewed through the indwelling of His Holy Spirit and the work of regeneration, opening your eyes to see, being born again, made anew. Only God can do that. So don't you see that the Pharisees and their stubbornness of heart and their prideful self-righteousness, they're prevented from seeing And believing that their problem lies within. And they don't see and believe that the solution stands right in front of them. They're prevented from that. Because of their traditions. Because of prideful self-righteousness. Don't fall into that trap. You've got to embrace the bad news of your own sinfulness. Before you receive the good news of Christ and His sufficient sacrifice. Christian, that's what you believe, amen? It's He that you trust in, that you rest in, Jesus Christ. And through that trust and that rest, you're reminded of what washed you. You know, even as Christians, it can be easy to kind of go through the motions of religiosity and try to fight sin in our own strength and by our own power and not remember who we are and what Christ has done to free us from sin, to wash us, to make us new. May our sanctification be gospel-powered, Christ-influenced. Let us not go back, revert to the empty religiosity of just going through the motions, doing religious things, thinking that is what sanctifies us or makes us good. May we obey from that renewed, washed, and pure heart. But I've got to ask in a room like this, have you come to this realization of your own sinfulness? Do you recognize now, is it clear from Scripture that your problem comes from within and that the sin you produce defiles you, it separates you from a holy God? If that's you this morning, cry out with David. Cry out with David in Psalm 51. Wash me, God, from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. It will only happen to you by faith in His Son, Jesus Christ, and the perfect sacrifice He made. Trust in Him today. Embrace Christ by faith. And it would do us well to remember these principles. Sin comes out of us. It's a heart problem. Jesus Christ is the only solution. Cleanses us from sin by His death and resurrection. And so as we repent and turn from sin in our life, we address it as a heart problem not simply an external problem. And so we confess sin that's in our heart, from the heart. We turn from sin in the heart, from the heart. 
And we walk as obedient sons of righteousness from the heart. We remember we trust and apply the all-sufficient work of Christ. We're no longer slaves of sin. We're no longer dead in sin. We are free and alive, set free by Christ. And so we live like it. We live like it. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is a sobering truth, a reality that we must embrace. We are sinners through and through, from the heart. We have corrupted our lives and we have produced all kinds of evil thoughts, words, and deeds. We must understand this, God. We must accurately diagnose ourselves by just looking at the mirror of your word, exposing the sinfulness of of who we are so that we can trust in the all-sufficient work of Jesus Christ. I pray that if somebody hasn't trusted in Christ today and they're here feeling the conviction of sin, that they would see the solution and by faith trust in Jesus for salvation today. And God, for those of us who are in Christ, who are washed from the inside out, may we live like it and continue to repent of sin in our hearts, continue to address the problem where it is, confess it, and turn and walk as free men and women, free from sin's power, free from its slavery, alive to God, sons and daughters of righteousness. Empower us by your Spirit to do so. And we trust you. And give you glory for the work that you do in our lives. Salvation and sanctification. In Jesus name. Amen.